0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you
1: learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Absurd Psychology, straight answers without all the bull. Your host is Dr. Gary Bell. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell.
2: Welcome to Absurd Psychology, this is Dr. Gary Bell. We are so fortunate to have a special guest, Dr. Nancy Bull, to talk to us about critical incident stress. The title of the show is Critical Incident Stress, Will the Event Define You or You the Event? There are wounds that are n- that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. And that comes from Laurel Ham- Hamilton, who is an author. Now, let's talk about first off, and, and I'm going to kind of kick in the show here. What happens when people get scared? And, and there is a definite uh, neurological, biological reaction that our bodies have when we get scared. And this is huge because it contributes to what we're going to be talking about with critical incident stress. Fight or flight response is triggered. The body prepares to defend itself. Adrenaline is pumped in high doses to your muscles and, and your breathing. And your heart rate increases to distribute the adrenaline around your body. Uh, Therefore, the brain's uh, hypothalamus simultaneously triggers the nerve system and dumps at least 30 different hormones in the bloodstream to prepare the body to handle the threat. That's just getting scared. There's a huge biological reaction. Our pupils dilate. There's a constriction of the veins causing like a, a chilly sensation. There's Increased blood glucose, which helps the brain perform its functions. Goosebumps, tense muscles, relaxation of the smooth muscles. And this is really important. The shutting down of non-essential systems such as digestion and the immune system. People that live with high levels of stress, high levels of fear, are going to get fat because their digestive system instantly gets affected by the sense of fear, by the sense of being scared. Difficulty concentrating on small tasks. And once the threat's over, cortisol is released, and that's a chemical that our brain manufactures to calm yourself back down to normal. Now, this system that we have right here of being scared, this system that in our bodies that leads to critical incident stress and, and contributes to our our, our emotions after critical incident stress has been around as long as man and without it we could not escape predators and enemies so we're so fortunate to be joined by my dear friend and peer dr nancy bull penrod dr nancy bull penrod is a mental health professional An MFT, marriage family therapist also, who specializes in the field of trauma. She is the director of the Counseling Team International, a highly successful and respected employee service support devoted to providing trauma support services throughout the nation. Dr. Bull Penrod has extensive background in critical incident stress management. And Dr. Bull Penrod has responded to more than 1,000 critical incidents. Uh, she helped those impacted by the L.A. riots, Hurricanes Andrew and Katrina, the federal building bombing in Oklahoma City, the tornado in Oklahoma, the Unabomber incident in Sacramento. Her, her service is also used for for all the major school shootings that you've heard about all over the country. She led a team of mental health professionals assisting those who severely who were severely impacted in the terrorist attacks in New York. And while in New York, she was sent to the Pentagon to provide her services. I can think of no other person in this world to have on this show than you, Nancy. So Thank can, you. can you please tell me, you know, the counseling team's been around a long time, and you are the creator of the counseling team. What brought that about?
3: Um, you know, actually, Gary, I uh, was uh, married a police officer, and um, he was injured in a line of duty, and his department actually retired him at a very young age and it was um, kind of like he was forgotten they just kind of um, kind of pushed him aside, okay you're retired and as a family we that wasn't something that um, anybody was ready for so um, I went as soon as I could to um, his department and said I would like to help out if um, people are early retired and due to a critical incident And I called the um, chief at the time, my bullet in the back chief. What he said was, um, excuse me, but I have a bullet in my back. I didn't need to talk to anybody. And I remember thinking, oh, all right. So I started doing an internship at San Bernardino County. And uh, the sheriff's department uh, came to me and asked me to help out on a critical incident uh, involving a deputy. And um, the individual at the time, um, his name was Lieutenant Jim Nunn, said, uh, hey, you know, the guy stayed at work. I don't know what you did, but I want you to keep doing it. And the counseling team was born. Wow. Yes. It was (laughs) fabulous.
2: And since then, it's been doing wonders all over this country. It's, It's amazing. You know, how, Nancy, do you define a critical incident?
3: And you know a critical incident is actually an an event that is very unexpected mm-hmm. by uh, someone, and it overwhelms a person's coping skills that they normally would have for normal normal stress things and it's um it's the event usually falls outside the range of ordinary human experiences, and that's kind of how we um, define
2: it so could that be? an everyday event, let's say something as simple as a car accident?
3: Could be a car accident. Um, A car accident might not be an everyday event for an individual. So because it would be um, outside their normal stressors, it would be considered a critical incident. And it has to be considered a critical incident by the person that experiences it. I don't think people can step back and say, that's critical. If the person is resilient and the car accident doesn't impact them or overwhelm their coping skills, then we probably wouldn't call it a um, a critical incident.
2: Yeah, you know, coping skills is such an important thing. Um, Some people may not understand what those are, but that's how we normally deal with life and how we normally cope with things that we don't like that are happening. And and so bottom line is, is, when critical incidents take place, apparently people just don't have any experience in their brain to cope with or understand how to process what's going on.
3: Uh, correct. What What happens if you don't have a past experience to pull from and say, "Oh, that's last time that happened. This is how I handled it. Oh, the last time I went through this, this is how I handled it." And they have no experience, then they become overwhelmed by that incident.
2: Gotcha. You. you know what? What are some of the critical incidents, and I mentioned a few in your, in your biography, but what are some of the critical incidents that actually the counseling team has handled as far as uh, on a national scale?
3: On a national scale, we actually had one of our um, personnel go to Haiti to work um, um, with the Haitian people. Uh, we've been involved in um, workplace violence um, where um, somebody has gone in and shot uh, hospital, uh, Long Beach Hospital had a major, major event that had to do with um, layoffs of people, and that may not sound critical to you, but it was so unexpected to people that it it was a critical incident to those that were laid off. We've uh, involved you. You mentioned nine eleven,
2: uh-huh.
3: and um, it wasn't just well. It was the Pentagon, and um, of course. Uh, New York. But more recently we were involved in the TSA incident at the airport Mm -hmm. where a TSA officer was shot and killed. And um, we were involved in the um, San Diego fires. We've been involved in um, Hurricane Katrina and uh, um, Sandy. Mm -hmm. Major Storm Sandy. We um, have gone to um, school shootings of course, um, involving um, uh, not just the officers, the law enforcement officers or the firefighters that arrived, but also some of the school personnel, like at Columbine, Red Lake, um, Cajon, um, the incident in, um, it was in uh, Washington, Springfield, I'm sorry, Springfield, Oregon, we were involved. And um, most of the time, if um, somebody is killed, um, it could be. It doesn't have to be like a major event, but it could be a, an event, a major event for that industry, for that department, for that business. You mm-hmm. know, we've had um, people who have been in bank robberies. You know, t- and bank robberies uh, take over, and a one-on-one where we go in and we help the bank tellers and mm-hmm. we help the manager. Mm-hmm. And we have been involved in um, businesses that lose um, an employee to suicide. Um, to a car accident on the way to work. So we go in and help out all the employees, the co workers of that person. So there's been a lot of events um, that we've been involved in. Um, typhoon disaster in Guam, for instance, where um, it almost wiped out Guam. Many um, plane disasters. Uh, TW 800 on Long Island, the Alaska airline crash in California. Um, um, the u s air crash in Pittsburgh, and they had one in Charlotte, so we respond whenever we 're called, we go. We always say that we're good soldiers we do we we'll go and help out and of course it, there was a critical incident for b l m in um, Vegas recently that was a really tough call for them, um worried about maybe getting um assaulted or injured by those that were protecting some land
2: yeah, yeah, that was a uh, militia that uh, came out for them. You know, I I have to be honest with everybody that uh, I also have worked with the counseling team for the past 10 years. And so uh a lot of these not a lot of them, but some, many of these incidences are I have shared with Nancy and we have worked um It's interesting cuz we Work also many smaller incidents, and by no means are these events small in these people's lives, but there's people that in, die in plane crashes. There's babies in swimming pools that, that die, accidents where children are killed. There's all kinds of events that the counseling team has also gone out on and helped a number of people. Now, you know, how are these incidents, as far as you're concerned, it, how are they affecting these people? When, they, when you first roll up to a situation, how do you assess what they're going through?
3: Well, one of the things we do is um, we consult with the manager or supervisor first to find out from a supervisor's point of view who is the most impacted. Because I believe that the, a supervisor or a manager or a coworker um, will be able to tell us that. So when we get there, we do, what we try to do is we call it like a little jump team. We try to go first, find out exactly what's happened. Um, and when you talk to the managers or a peer supporter or a supervisor and you, or even a chaplain could be there, we find out exactly who was mostly impacted, what happened, and then even from our point of view, we could probably be able to read um, exactly who's been impacted depending on the circumstances, depending on what role they played in the event. So what we do is we, after we consult, then we sit down and we decide on um, the debriefings we're going to do, which is a group process, who we're going to talk to on a one-on-one, when that's going to be done, um, who's going to bring refreshments, that's important, and who's going to be facilitators. It, it, um, We believe in the helping triad. We believe in, for public safety, we believe in... Chaplains, peer support, and mental health professionals. And we all work together. We don't work we work in tandem. Now there are businesses that do not have chaplains and they may not have peer support. So what we do is we try not to work alone, but we may be able to pull in somebody who they really trust or somebody from HR, somebody who might be the person that will be help us facilitate the
2: group process. I get you. You know, Who accompanies you when you go to these events? I mean, do you bring specific, besides the chaplains and, and, you know, uh, uh, recruiting people within the offices, do do you have a specific agenda of who you're going to take when you go to these incidents?
3: Um, I don't have an agenda. We actually at the counseling team have an on-call board. And um, we work 24-7, 365. We're available. And we have three people. We have one person who's up first. We call it their on call. The second person who's backup. And the third person who's backup, backup. And so if the call comes in and the person who's on call Let's say it's Dr. Julie Rathbun, and she's on call. She assesses it and goes, I need my backup to go with me. So then two mental health people will go, and the third person moves into first place. Then the other people that are on our on-call board step up to make sure that they cover.
2: You know, what training does the counseling team provide as far as critical incidents, I mean, do they provide services to other businesses, departments, things like that?
3: Oh, absolutely. We actually have a class. It's called it's for critical incidents in the workplace for businesses, industries, um, organizations. And then we also have an, a um, CISM. It's called critical incident stress management, two day training for public safety. And we also have it for mental health professionals. And we also have an incredible three-day peer support training where we provide training to peer supporters and have them in the workplace helping out and be able to identify maybe a problem employee. And, and then we have 40 classes, Gary. We, we teach sleep, um, stress management, wellness in the workplace and at leisure, um, customer service, um, how, to, how to talk on the phone, um, the um, depression, depression. Uh, compassion fatigue, mindfulness. Um, We have so many classes that we teach um, and to all types of industries that were really, really beneficial to the employee.
2: All right, let's take a a quick break and then we're going to come down to the symptoms involved in critical incident and how people can identify what those symptoms are. Once again, I have my special guest, Dr. Nancy Bull Penrod here for Critical Incident Stress. Come right back.
1: Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today.
0: Question. What's working and what's not working in your life? Though we resolve each year to do things differently and we want what's great for our businesses, our relationships, our health, and more. We don't always know where to turn when life gets tough. That's where Leading Life Large with host Rob Braun comes in. Our show challenges you to reevaluate where you are and keep pushing your way to the success you desire. If you want it bad enough, we can help you turn your life around. Leading Life Large airs Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology.
2: Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. And once again, we have Dr. Nancy Bull Penrod talking to us about critical incident stress. Uh, She comes from the Counseling Team International in San Bernardino, California. Now, you know, Nancy, what makes... Acute anxiety more treatable than PTSD. Now, acute anxiety, folks, is the first thirty days after a critical incident. PTSD is if somebody doesn't get treated, then it rolls into post traumatic stress disorder. So, what makes acute anxiety more treatable?
3: Well, acute anxiety, um, Gary or Dr. Bell, excuse me,
2: <laughs> you <call> uh, go. <laughs> okay, okay,
3: is um, sometimes just having an understanding that you are having um, acute anxiety, talking about it to to a therapist, talking about it to a peer, sometimes can cure it. It, it, it really can. And in counseling, most therapists will use cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, um, it, it helps you change your thoughts about the event. And so, because your thoughts can increase uh, the anxiety, which increases the behavior in an in inappropriate way. So it can really help just by talking, just by acknowledging, okay? That's not the case for post-traumatic stress disorder. As you know, um, post-traumatic stress disorder is life-changing, it's uh, more difficult to um, handle. There's all types of reactions that people can have, and um, it ne- it's more intensive. A lot of times, medications can help, um, but it's um, it's a whole different ball game when you when you suffer from post traumatic stress disorder.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of look at it like a, a, a person's hand. Acute anxiety—if you can treat that kind of an incident, you know, something that happens that traumatizes someone. You're just treating that incident, but when things go into PTSD, the way I see it is, it starts to grow roots, and that's like the fingers on the hand. It begins to grow into something else, and, and go into other areas of your life. And uh, so the deal is, the quicker you can get to that acute anxiety, the the better the person's going to be, and the less impact an incident's going to have. That's just in my opinion.
3: No, absolutely. One of the things that we say is. If you look at it like a camera, you take a picture of an event, and if it develops negatively because no one got in there to help the development be more positive, then you might um, lead into post traumatic stress disorder.
2: Now, how do you know someone is affected by a critical incident? What what are some of the the things you see? How how do you know that? Oh wow!
3: Well. D- It's not just what we see, but it's what they tell us.
2: You know, they Mm -hmm. can, they
3: can tell us, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm having nightmares. I'm having flashbacks. I have, keep thinking about it over and over again. You know, last thing that I think of before I go to bed, first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. But if um, from an observation point of view, you can see them start to, I call circle the drain. They start to decompensate a little bit. It's a, um, they're sadder. There's, um, there can be. I, I, I don't always diagnose it as severe depression, but it's, it's in the the moderate depression level. Mm-hmm. They don't uh, enjoy life as much as they did. The activities that they used to do, they're irritable, um, argumentative, maybe even insubordinate. They fight with their families, or they start to withdraw from their families. Their families will tell you, he's not the same guy anymore. Ever since that accident, he's not the same guy. They can uh, turn to substance abuse, start um, drinking more uh, alcohol. Uh, you will hear different things from coworkers. Um, they um, uh, isolate. They don't get involved in the potlucks at work. Um, they don't look the same. Some some people gain a lot of weight. Some people lose weight. They look like they're kind of disheveled. They're um, tired. You know, they. You just get a sense something is going on with this person that was. That it was not going on with them prior to the event.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and even their you know just their aura, their energy, that they how they carry themselves, their gait, how you know how their body is when they walk, you can even tell from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So, so in the what is a goal of having a crisis intervention immediately after an incident?
3: The goal, well, first the goal is to provide safety. You know, you want them to feel safe and. Some people, if they're in a car accident or if they're a rape victim, they don't feel safe. So we we provide an environment of safety. And then what we want them to do is know that in the safe environment, they can start to vent and share and go through the critical incident step by step by step. And when you allow them to be able to vent and share, it's wonderful. It turns um, them into understanding. Number one, they can verbalize it so that, so now it becomes real. And that's, although that's very painful, it's a good thing. Now you can help them put pieces of the puzzle together and it kind of confirms for them that what they're experiencing is normal to, um, reaction to an abnormal event.
2: I gotcha. You know, what would you consider a healthy coping skill after a crisis?
3: Healthy would be um, talking about it, Um, exercising, prayer, laughter, recreation, things that you can do with your family, Um, knowing that you have an incredible support system. And, you know, I always say that God gave us two tear ducts for a reason— So we need to exercise those tear ducts, which means crying is um, a wonderful thing to do. And to know that that event should not define you. And that you have. There's so many other parts to you that matter. That you don't want that to be the only only part of you that you always go back and and think about. And um, going to therapy is wonderful. Uh, getting um, EMDR, which is a technique.
2: Yeah, that we'll we talk
3: use. about that. Yeah, and just being able to to know that you're healthy enough to be able to move forward and to be resilient.
2: I gotcha. You you know. Uh there's this thing called a demobilization. How does that take place, and what is what's it hoped to accomplish?
3: Demobilization actually came from inter, inter, um, it. Actually, came from the military. Okay, it's a military. Yeah, term. it is
2: definitely a military term. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
3: a military term. But um, Dr. Jeff Mitchell, who's um, was the past president of the International Critical and Stress Foundation. He came up with the term to use after a critical incident when it's a large-scale event. Okay. So if, if, you, if a child drowns in a swimming pool and you go in to deal with four or five people, that is different than if a plane crashes and you're going into a room to deal with 400 people. So he came up with a demobilization that helps those public safety workers move from a transition of going out into the event and then also returning from the event so that they have an opportunity to talk about prior to going out, what they might see, smell, hear, and touch. Then when they come back from that event, they get an opportunity to share what it was like to what they smelled, what they touched, what they heard, and what they saw. So it puts people together, command endorses it and they usually speak so that they can talk to everybody about supportive stuff what happened, what they did and then after that command endorsement and then um, mental health are there the counseling team would be there, help them understand some of their reactions are normal they break into small debriefings later so demobilizations are for really large scale events
2: I get you, I get you now, debriefings, what, what, what is that and, and how are they conducted and who attends these things?
3: The people that attend them are those that are, have been impacted by the event. Uh, some administrators, supervisors, co-workers might want to go to a debriefing when they were at home when the event happened. Um, not that they can't vicariously be impacted, but we would consider a, a vicariously a vicarious group mm-hmm. um, but the it needs to be those that were um, impacted by the event and what happens is we provide mental health chaplains and peers if the peers and chaplains are are um, available and we get together in a small group to discuss what happened at the event and there are seven phases that we go through and actually we have added two to that so there's actually nine now but what um, it reduces their stress reaction it It definitely accelerates recovery. I mean, it can have such a positive impact. Remember I talked about putting the little pieces of the puzzle together? Well, when you have a group of people together to be able to talk about an event and they don't remember what the other person did, it helps everybody pull together and say, oh, okay, I understand now. Oh, now I know where you are. Oh, now I get it. Confirms that they're not alone in their reactions. It bonds them. Work Work groups become closer. The cohesiveness is incredible after a a critical incident. They know they're not alone. They feel safe, and it helps put things into perspective.
2: Yes, it does. And it's interesting also with the debriefing is that, uh, like you say, putting the pieces together. When people go through critical incidents, their sensory perceptions shut down. And oftentimes, let's say if it's dark outside, all of a sudden your hearing in a critical incident is going to become incredibly strong. Or if it's vision, you may get tunnel vision and you have to focus just on what's going on to get through that critical incident. That's how the brain operates. What's interesting is people coming out of these incidents are able to share what they remember and they actually put the story together by being in a debriefing. Therefore, people don't walk away and just have the memory of what they experienced. Now they have the memory of the entire event Based on what everyone saw from their sensory perception. Yes, absolutely. You know how long are these things?
3: The, the debriefings. You it, know they can go from one hour to five hours. It. Uh, we can't predict that ahead of time, because we don't know what's going to come up, and and because we are triggered by um, by past events. That a in a debriefing, someone might say, "Look, I understand this. This was tough." But let me tell you what happened three weeks ago. Let me tell you what occurred a year ago. How come our um, boss didn't have you out here four years ago? So I allow that to be shared. And so some debriefings go longer. And it depends. A death of a coworker, death of a child... Those are very tough. They go a lot longer because people want to talk about the memory of the person, not just how it
2: impacted them. And I can imagine that social etiquette is out the door in these kind of uh, when people are debriefing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, it can be.
2: (laughs) Are they confidential?
3: They are confidential. Well, let let me put it this way. We haven't been burned. We haven't had somebody violate it because people feel honored. That their coworkers are there to share, so we set it up, and we talk about, please have this be a confidential setting. Confidentiality is a promise. It's not a legal term. It's just saying, "I promise I'm not going to leave this room and share with everybody what you said." And it's, it, it, we haven't been burned. It's been pretty nice in the, you know in all the years that we've been doing it, and um, I think they love it.
2: You know, how do you break down the, the different phases of a crisis management debriefing? Because I imagine they're a hot mess. I mean, are there certain phases that you absolutely have to hit or are there certain phases that can be sometimes you have to skip over just because of the, the, how the people are working with each other?
3: Um, I, I think so. Every event is different. So in a crisis management briefing, probably one of the most important components not to skip is to have the top dog the boss there telling what happened and that they are supportive of the people there and that the information that they will get to them will be the information that the people need. Because not at a crisis management briefing, you might have the news media. Mm -hmm. For instance, let's take um, Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. school shooting Mm -hmm. recently. Sheriff Brown was amazing. He stood there and he informed not just the public and the people in the community, but he informed all of the news. This is what took place. Then he brought someone in to give more information. He brought someone in to give more information. It's very informational. You don't want to leave that part out. And then you have someone say, here are some of the things that you might go through as a community and, and share. I think that component shouldn't be missed.
2: Absolutely. There's a thing called a diffusing. What is that?
3: A diffusing actually looks like a debriefing, but it happens immediate afterwards. Peer support usually runs it. Even in an, uh, a supervisor can run it. And it's real quick at the scene. It can be, okay, this is what we've got. This is These are some of the things that you might go through. So it's a shorter version. And sometimes um, a diffusing is all people need. It depends on um, the airline industry uses diffusings a lot because their flight attendants can immediately talk um, before they what we call jump jump seat therapy mm-hmm. sit down in their um, in their uh, jump seats and talk they um, quickly go around talk about some of the how some of this is going to impact them and um, so it's a shorter version and it's very important their diffusings um, are very good and it can enhance a debriefing if it's set up later and it might eliminate a debriefing
2: awesome awesome all right we're going to come back we're going to talk about treatments and intervention of crisis uh i have dr nancy bull penrod with me i'm so fortunate once again we're talking about critical incident stress come right back to absurd psychology it's dr gary bell
1: Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern,
3: noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are tuned in to Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary Bell or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. So, got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net, or you can just click on the email host button on the Voice America page. Now, back to Absurd Psychology.
2: Welcome back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. We're talking about crisis intervention with Dr. Nancy Bull Penrod. You know, you mentioned in the previous segment uh, peer support. What, what is that?
3: Peer support, well, it is probably one of the best things that any business organization, public safety, non-public safety can offer. Um, We have a whole um, system of how you develop a peer support program. If you think about it, Gary, um, if someone works at McDonald's and they are struggling with their marriage or their relationship. And they go to work. Well, the coworker is going to be able to pick up that something is wrong. But the coworkers don't know what to say. They may ignore it. They may say, Are you okay? Person says, I'm fine. That's it. No more, you know, no more help. It goes beyond that. Or they may not even recognize the signs of someone being depressed or upset over um, a struggle struggling with their relationship. So what we do is we go in and we have the organization or business help pick those people inside their, let's say, McDonald's or something um, that are people that people naturally go to anyway and talk to them and tell them their problems and tell them their issues. We take those people and we teach them for three days and um, talk to them about depression and anxiety and what to look for we have them role play we teach them how to be the first line defense against a person unraveling and they're in the workplace so if if you are you work at McDonald's or you know or Bob's big boy um, and you are struggling you go in and you seek out that peer supporter because you know who they are and it doesn't mean that they you, they pull you off the line it doesn't mean that the companies losing time and not making as many hamburgers. It just means that that person, while they're working, might know what to say to the person or when they take a break would be a good listener and an active listener. It has saved so many lives. Peer support is the absolute best thing in the world for a company to have because it's people that work with them side by side in whatever capacity and they know what to do then there also can be that referral source they can be the person that says you know what why don't you go to counseling um, it sounds like this is really difficult for you why don't you go I know so-and-so who's part of our EAP I know so-and-so who's part of our employee support services why don't you go to them and I'll even help you get there or make that phone call for you which is the scariest part of going to therapy and they are like the conduit between the troubled employee and their resources.
2: That's awesome. I know I know that you train peer support and by the way, on uh, my website on uh, voiceamerica.com on the empowerment uh, absurd psychology, there is a gigantic ad for the counseling team international and has all the information to get a hold of them if you ever choose to. Uh, utilize uh, peer support and train people if you're in an in an environment that needs that. Now, you know what are the consequences of a person not seeking treatment after a critical incident? Well,
3: the consequences um, are are self evident: um, relationship problems, family problems, um, withdrawing. So you're not the same person. The um, the cortisol you talked about earlier um in their system can increase and therefore you know it's fat based so their cholesterol can can go up they can pack on pounds around their stomach area which is um um not a healthy thing to do they may not want to go out and enjoy life like they they once did and they may not like their jobs anymore because they feel like they're employer really didn't care that they went through a critical incident and that no one understands and they can turn to substance abuse.
2: You know, I, I know that if a person doesn't want treatment, it's very hard to do anything therapeutically with them. How do you overcome somebody that doesn't feel like they need to be fixed, but you know they do? Oh, that's
3: a great question. Um, I, I think um, that's where peer support comes in, actually. Peer support can be the little nudger, the encourager in the workplace to go get more help. But if a person actually refuses, doesn't want to get any help from a therapist, then we would want to to hope or at least encourage them to go to a good friend, go to their family, you know, go to their church, go to their pastor, seek out some help. If it's not with a mental health professional, and that's okay, it needs to, somewhere along the line, they need to be Take it from the internal to the external. Verbalize, share, and get out the feelings that they're, that they're experiencing that are negative.
2: Now, earlier we mentioned EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. What is that and why is that a critical tool sometimes to critical incidents in treating?
3: EMDR um, is a technique that mental health professionals use to help a person process Um, Their critical incident that we say has been stuck in the amygdala in the brain kind of swims around in there and um, it haunts them, let's say, maybe the smell, maybe a sound, maybe a vision. But uh, the way I look at it is this and how I explain it to my classes. Look at it as a um, conveyor belt when you go to the grocery store and all of your groceries are going down the conveyor belt. But one gets jammed and stuck and everything behind that just piles up correct it just starts to pile up well what emdr does is get in into the amygdala and breaks that jam so everything can go and flow all the way through it's um it's based on um almost like rapid eye movement Um, In rapid eye movement, the belief is you're processing while you're sleeping all the stuff. Maybe yesterday, today, tomorrow, everything you're thinking about, traumatic events, you're processing. Well, when you have a lot of stress, when you um, can't sleep, sleep is crucial, and all this interrupted sleep and you um, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, your sleep is impacted. So you don't get the REM sleep that you need to process the stuff. So a clinician, while you're awake, helps you get REM. You go, it goes from left brain to right brain, left brain to right brain, and it helps you dislodge the stuff that you're trapping, that's haunting you, um, almost like you're sleeping. So it's like REM, rapid eye movement while you're awake. Mm-hmm. And it is phenomenal. As you know, I know you're an EMDR therapist. It can make such a difference in a person's life. It's, it's, it's fabulous.
2: Yeah, it's huge because when the, when the information is stuck in the amygdala, basically the, the optical nerve goes all the way back to the brain stem and it also lays into the memory glands, which are in the back part of the brain. So the eye movement, by, by mimicking the eye movement, and reprocessing the event consciously it actually moves that event out of the amygdala which is in the midbrain by the way and almost every neurological every every uh, neurological highway runs through that thing so it's going to affect a lot of parts of your life but it lifts it out of the amygdala and into the memory glands so that there's a window between the event and you, you're no longer feeling the event when you see it and when you think about it, but you still remember it. So it doesn't have that trigger to it, and that's, that's the magic of it. It's a, it's a beautiful technique, and it also, it's just borrowing the brain's own mechanism to cure itself.
3: Yeah, it sure does.
2: You know, how can, P- how, can, how can this help people with PTSD? Because PTSD is just, it's taken over their life.
3: It has, but it can it can help. I mean, there's there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that can can help. Um, it, I don't want to say it cures post traumatic stress disorder, but it sure is, is one inning in the ball game. You know, it can it can make a difference. It can at least alleviate. Um, relieve some of the the stressors that the person's feeling and, and there's other techniques too you know there's cognitive behavioral therapy that can hurt there's prolonged exposure therapy that can help um, excuse me help and um, so there's other things that people can do but it just can make a difference and actually the VA hospitals um, due to our vets and everyone that's returning from the military, they provide all of those services. And EMDR is one of those techniques that they provided our um, VA hospital.
2: Yeah, I, kn- I know that down in uh, San Diego they do uh, equestrian therapy with people with PTSD. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yes, I can. I actually um, went to a place called Buffalo Ranch, which is in Riverside County. Where they are doing equine therapy. That's, and, that's
2: horses, by the way. Yes,
3: yes, <laughs> horses. And so, Dr. Kathleen Welbrock, my assistant director, and I went and uh, we had them come in and talk to everybody at a staff meeting. Then we went and to experience how they work with people. And we sent our first person, actually. And as of yesterday, and I can't believe you asked me the question, as of yesterday, he felt. So much better, and he had been diagnosed with forty percent um, from the military, and he said it had made a difference. Now, understand everything is p- one of the innings in the ball game. It doesn't mean it cures, mm-hmm. but it's going to be more manageable for him, and it won't impact his life as much as it was in a negative way. And, and
2: that. Curing comes from building a relationship with a horse that has not been broken. Is that correct?
3: Yes. Uh, no. The, the horse has been. The horse is broken. But what happened? They don't ride the horse. What they do is horses. Since I'm a horse person, and um, we have horses, horses can feel you, and they can feel um, if you're afraid of them. They can feel if you have anxiety. They can feel if you're depressed. And so the horse comes out into the round pen, and you walk up, and the horse will come up to you. And so you start to trust the horse, which is a 2000 pound, I mean, two thousand pound—I mean, a, a, a two thousand pound animal. And so if you haven't been trusting people because of post traumatic stress disorder, you learn how to trust more. And the horse teaches you that your feelings are okay and how to react. It was fabulous, and we may even partner with um, buffalo ranch and their program
2: what do you do with somebody who shows up years later who never sought treatment
3: well one thing you do is you talk to them of course and then you can uh, listen to their story and discuss whether uh, emdr is appropriate whether the equine therapy is appropriate um, prolonged exposure, what, whatever it is, but, but that's okay. Yes, it's it's taken years to develop in a negative way, but people with, with um, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and they've suffered for years, it is not uncommon for something to trigger it, and they go, you know what, I'm tired of this, I want to get some help, and they can still get the help. Yeah. It's not too late.
2: You know, you, having been to more than 1,000 critical incidents, how do you take care of yourself?
3: Oh, wow. Well, how do I do that? Um, <laughs> I always say that you have to practice what you preach. And, you know, there are so many things in my life that are positive, And I will not allow my job to impact my life. However, of course I cry. Of course I feel others' pains. I mean, that, uh, that's just a natural thing. But I know what helps me. Um, My wonderful marriage to my husband, Gary, my relationships with friends, my family with God. And um, I practice what I preach. Everything in wellness, I try to apply that to my life.
2: You know, we talk about, and I opened the show with, you know, does the event define you or do you define the event? And, you know, overcoming critical incident is so important to not make that event what your life is all about. And so many people will focus on the event after a critical incident and lose themselves.
3: Absolutely. What what are You're your right. thoughts on that? They they do. And you 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 know, have you ever met anyone and they they'll introduce themselves and they talk about, well, this is what happened to me, as opposed to This is how I handled what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And be resilient. You know, resiliency is a very important thing that we teach people, children. And um, I just went through the um, Resilient Institute, three of us, Dr. Um, Kathleen Welbrock and Dr. Debbie Severi and I went to it uh, back in Baltimore. And learn that you can teach resiliency to children, to people after traumatic events or not even traumatic events. Um, But also supervisors and managers need to teach the people that they supervise and that they manage resiliency in the workplace.
2: Awesome. All right. Here's some uh, funny uh, things, at least I think are funny, about (laughs) traumatic events. There is a serial pooper. Serial pooper on the loose in Houston, Texas. One particular lawn in Woodland Heights has been fertilized six times. It is a man, and they have him on video in action. <laughs> <laughs> I know that would be a critical incident for me <laughs> if I walked out in there. So and I'd good. be
3: there to debrief. To debrief. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or deep poop. Deep poop. <laughs> Massachusetts police classify hot pizza as dangerous weapon during an arrest. (laughs) And the management group responsible for One Direction may take legal action over a condom named One Erection. (laughs) (laughs) A man in Norcross, Georgia has a warrant issued for robbing a Waffle House with a pitchfork. And also a California teenage girl's Girl told bullies that she served them semen-filled cupcakes after they ate them. <laughs> All right. What we're going to discuss next week is personality disorders. Can't you find a UFO to haul your ass back home? That's our show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Love to hear from you and get your feedback on Twitter at DRGBMFT. Remember, Earth is this insane asylum for the universe.
1: That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.